Well, happy Easter. Uh, Steve grew up in an Episcopal church, so I thought he was going to do this. But he didn't. And leave it to the, like, the low church we're meeting in a warehouse pastor to do what the Episcopal couldn't, which is this. Which, which is this. I'm going to say he is risen, and then you'll respond back with he is risen indeed. We're going to do it three times, and we're going to keep getting louder, and by the end, we're going to blow the roof off. You guys ready? All right, so I'm going to say he's risen. You're going to say he's risen. Okay, here we go. Ready? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Praise Jesus. We serve a risen and reigning king. Three days ago and 2,000 years ago, he was killed on a cross for our sins. He paid the penalty we could not pay. He laid in the tomb for three days and then rose in victory, eternally defeating death, eternally defeating the power of Satan, eternally defeating sin and giving us freedom. And that's why we come. That's why you might have worn something special today or bought an Easter dress or an Easter shirt. That's why we come here and celebrate because we celebrate that kind of Jesus who did that in our lives. Uh, but, but the thing is, here's the reality of our lives, though. Often, I don't know if y'all had Easter traditions growing up or if you have them now. I feel like, I feel like as we go, we get fewer and fewer traditions in life. Uh, but, but a lot of us have traditions. We do Easter egg hunts. Good luck with that today, right? Like we do, we do things that are really nice. We wear our pastel colors. It's like Easter's the start of too many pastels. You know what I'm saying? Like just everyone's wearing these beautiful pastels. And, uh, and growing up, we had a couple traditions. One was we would get Easter baskets, which most people do, but we would get swim goggles in our Easter basket because this was like the almost the start of swim season. And so we would get special Easter swim goggles. The weird tradition, but we would do it. Um, another thing we would do is we'd always get a new shirt, I thought at least, get like new shirts and new clothes, and then we would take an Easter picture. So I brought some, you all see some Easter pictures from back in the day? All right, this is Elijah's first Easter, I think, 1994. That's, that's my oldest brother, Caleb, looking sharp and snazzy. You'll, you'll see a progression of these pictures, so just kind of follow. He always looks like he's maybe like one of the royal children from like England, right? He always looks super sharp and nice. Like he looks good. Here's me, probably the cutest until my sister comes along. Absolutely adorable. Look at that hair, almost rocking the mullet. I didn't know they'd be back in style in 2022, but already I was ahead of my time. Imagine what it could look like today. And then my brother, Josh. Now, I want you to notice something as we go through these pictures. There's always somebody messing with me, okay? Now, this is a bit of a therapy session because my older brother, Josh, thinks like, hey, let me grab his head, okay? Now, I'm, I'm young enough. I don't know what's happened. I still look happy, but he's grabbing my head. Uh, one more thing I want you to notice before we keep going is I used to always think we got new Easter shirts and like Easter ties or whatever every single Easter um, because that's what I was told growing up. And you did that to symbolize like new life in Jesus, like a new, a new shirt, you know? And then I realized looking back through a series of these pictures my mom sent me, that I was wearing hand-me-downs every year. <laughs> so look at what Josh is wearing in this picture. Let's go to 1995. Look what I'm wearing. <laughs> it's like, hey, Elijah, I brought you an Easter romper celebrating new life. False. You get recycled life in Jesus, which is, still kind of works. He redeems your life. Um, okay, so, so looking nice, looking like the Brit. That's Josh this time. But look at this. My brother's grabbing me and pulling off my romper. And if you've worn a romper, you know this is not pleasant, okay? Most of you guys have it. Ladies, like, it wouldn't be great if your friend just starts in the picture, like, pulling off the strap. Not any fun. And you can tell I'm so flustered by it, I can't even keep my eyes open. <laughs> like, life is hard with older brothers. Thanks for coming to my therapy session today. All right, let's, so we actually skipped a year, and this is Hannah's now here, 1997. I'm assuming in 1996, I'm being beat over the head. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> but look at this, Josh messing with me again. 
Like the man's got me by the, by the neck. That's a straight up dad move right there. And he's only 16 months older than me. Just straight up abusing me. Hannah, look how adorable does she look, right? Like, yeah, I was the cutest until she came along and then she messed all that up. And, and now we all got the crew cuts going, which is not nearly as cute either as the mullet. So anyway, so messing with me. But I want to show you uh, the next year, Easter 1998. This is when my man's looking fresh and fly. Now, I want, I want you to notice, too, this is the same jacket my brother was wearing, Caleb, in the very first picture from 1994. So they recycle it for me, but man, but man, I rock it so well. I mean, look at that. And, and we're looking good. Josh is looking kind of derpy in this vest. <laughs> but the next year, I wore the same vest, and I tucked it in. And it just was, looks terrible. It's just a bad, bad year. We've, we're not going to show you that one. But I, but I want you to notice something about this picture. You know how I've been abused all these pictures so far? Check out. I guess they made us all hold hands so we wouldn't do that. But look who got the overgrip. You see what's going on right there? And you can tell it's not like I'm, I'm fighting for it right there, but I've got the overgrip on my brother. And so this is just letting all of you know that things can get better, right? Like you can come back. And, but, but when I think of Easter, I think of this. I think of azalea bushes, like maybe Easter hats, pastel colors, um, you know, looking, looking good. Like I just, this is what I think of. And then you have a day like this where it's rainy outside. And, and you have a, maybe a time in life where life's not going well. And it's like, you don't feel like showing up on Easter and looking really cute and fun. You just feel like staying in bed and you don't feel like getting it. Maybe you've been at that place for a couple weeks or a couple months. And like, it's, it's just, it's hard to feel good. Maybe you can put on the external colors. You don't feel great. Something we forget about the Easter story is that the Easter Sunday did not start off looking like pastels and azalea bushes and getting the overgrip on your older brother. That's not how it started. It actually started with confusion and enough confusion and even despair that some of Jesus' followers just gave up and left. And we forget this because we say, oh, Jesus is risen. Well, we know now he rose, but on that first Easter, they didn't quite know what had happened. So we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 24. This is after we've been told that Jesus has risen from the dead, but not everybody knows it yet. Some of the ladies went there early on and they saw these angels there. And the angel said, hey, he's risen from the dead. And there was no body, but they still don't quite know what's happening. And we're going to pick up the story with two of Jesus' followers who have left Jerusalem. This is what it says in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. On that very day, the same day Jesus rose, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now this, I want to stop right there for a second. I'm going to walk through this passage, but it's key that they are walking away from Jerusalem. In the Gospel of Luke, the whole Gospel is oriented towards Jesus moving to Jerusalem. The whole Gospel is set up around a location. It's Jesus getting closer and closer to Jerusalem where he is going to pay the price. Luke's setting it up. Jesus is going. He's moving to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, I believe it says that he set his face towards Jerusalem. And from there, the whole book is him going to Jerusalem. Luke writes about Jerusalem as much as all of the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John, combined. He's always talking about Jerusalem. So when it says that they were leaving Jerusalem and walking away from Jerusalem, this is key. It's not just telling you where the geography was. It's telling you what's going on inside of these two disciples. They're walking away from the place where Jesus gave his life and where he rose from the dead. And they don't know what's going on yet, but they're walking away. They've already been told that some ladies saw a vision of angels and that they said he rose from the dead. There's no body. And they're still leaving. 
probably to go back home. They're starting off in despair. They had these, these great hopes of what would happen, and it's all turned out like this. They're walking away from Jerusalem. And while they're walking, this is what happens. They were talking and discussing together, verse 15. And Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now this should bring hope to all of the introverts in the room. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus was walking along behind them. Later on they say, oh, you came from Jerusalem too. And so he's walking along behind them. And you know that awkward thing where you're walking faster than somebody and behind them, but you don't know, do I pass them? Do I stay behind them awkwardly? Do I just stalk them? Do I just like straight up just decide to stalk them now? And you're at that point. And you introverts especially, I know this is hard. This is like the, one of the tougher things in life. Do I interact with the person? Do I not? Do I act like they're dead to me? Do I act, try to be best friends? And Jesus here has already risen from the dead and he has a glorified body and it's not a problem for him. Introverts, someday, if you're a follower of Jesus and you rise from the dead, you'll have a glorified body and a glorified personality, and you'll be able to interact without awkwardness. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. And all you extroverts will be less annoying, too. That's the other side of it, right? Can I get an amen to that? So Jesus is walking along. He, he overtakes them. And this is great because Jesus walks up beside them. He begins to walk with them. But it says, verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Uh, what it doesn't say is they were kept by God from recognizing him, but all throughout the Bible, there's this passive tense that's used. It was kept from something, or, and it's always Jesus doing it, or it's God doing it, right? It's God keeping them unable to see Jesus right now for some reason. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Jesus is not afraid to jump right in the middle of their pain and uncertainty and sadness and despair and start pushing around and asking them questions and getting all up in their business. He does the same thing today. Comes into us, where, where you're most frustrated, where you're most discouraged, disappointed, Jesus is okay coming in and pushing around and messing around. And, and this is what one of them said named Cleopas. He answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? It's, it's kind of like, th this was a big deal because it was around the time of Passover where up to a million people would come to visit Jerusalem. Jerusalem wasn't that big of a city at the time, but all these people would come visit and there were lots of people and there was all this kind of, there's always a sense of like, could this be the year we start a rebellion and overthrow the Roman government? And there's all this stuff going on. And then in the middle of that, this guy comes in named Jesus who was doing miracles and everyone was excited about him. And then he was put on trial by the Roman governor and then sentenced to death because that's actually what the religious leaders wanted. And so this, you can imagine the gossip around town right now. It's, it's almost like, a little bit more significant, but almost like a recent uh, time on a stage where one man punched another man, if you know what I'm talking about. Like, can, like the, the, the week after Will Smith hit Chris Rock, it was nothing else people could talk about. I'd be at work, and we'd be like, so how do we solve this problem? What do we do? Hey, how about Will Smith and Chris Rock? I'd be a Bible study. It's like, so what did, what did God say here? I don't know, but have you heard about Chris Rock and Will Smith? Like, people couldn't stop talking about it. And what I loved about it is that everyone had an opinion, and the people who had opinions you wouldn't always put together. Like, it'd be the guy wearing the Make America Great Again hat and the guy wearing the Black Lives Matter hat who was like, he should have punched him. Like, he should have done it. And then you have this, like, sweet old lady with this hippie person being like, he shouldn't have punched him. That was terrible. And you're like, why are these people agreeing? And it brought us together in weird ways. And the same thing was happening here. Everybody's talking about it. Everyone's discussing it. People have opinions because this is the talk of the town right now. And the, he looks, this guy looks at Jesus and he doesn't know it's Jesus yet. And he says, don't you know what's going on? And Jesus does a classic move here and he plays dumb. 
He's like, well, why don't you tell me? What does he say next? He says, what things are you talking about? Well, they said to him, and they give him the whole story concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And, and let, feel the pain, feel the discouragement in this next verse. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now, I want to highlight a few things because he describes for Jesus where he's at, what they've experienced. The first thing is the deep disappointment the deep discouragement, maybe even the despair. They had pinned their hopes on this guy. They had expected that this guy would be someone significant, the one to redeem Israel. And then suddenly he's gone. But on the flip side, they had all these hopes and expectations. They also had heard reports from women in, that they knew and they trusted, their friends, who said, hey, angels appeared to us at the tomb, said he rose from the dead, he's alive, and there's no body. And still, in the middle of all that, they can't stay around to investigate and figure it out. Maybe you're here today and you're not a particularly spiritual person. You're here today because it's Easter and you come, but you're not a particularly spiritual person. And you wouldn't say you have a relationship with God. You may not be even convinced God exists. But there's enough reason you should do the investigation and the search. So many of us don't, don't give the time and the energy to, to really say, is God real? Is Jesus real? Did he really rise from the dead? If he did, what does that mean for my life? We just kind of pass, brush past all that, some good religious stuff, and we move on. And these guys who were followers of Jesus couldn't be bothered to stick around for a little bit and say, were the ladies right? Were the angels right? Maybe we could just like stay for an extra day. Let's just like book the Airbnb for another day and see what happens. But they didn't. They left. And how many times in our lives spiritually, if we had just stuck around and asked the question and sought God a little bit more, would he have met us exactly where we are? My family knows something about missing out on opportunities. Uh, back on my mom's side, so my, my mom's dad, my granddad, his granddad was like a father figure to him. So I always heard up, grow, grew up hearing about Papu. Uh, Papu was my great, great granddad on my mom's side. So it's one of those complicated things. You're like, he was old and way back there. But I always heard about Papu growing up. In fact, we, I think, have a picture of Papu up in my parents' house. And so I grew up uh, hearing about him and, and Papu, right? Papu was a pub book publisher in Atlanta back in the, around the turn of the century, 1890s, early 1900s, and pretty well-to-do. And he actually served on the board of Emory University. You're impressed now. Emory University. And he had a, a buddy of his who served on, on the board as well, who was a friend, and his name was Asa Candler. This is going somewhere, okay? My, my Papu's name really fast, what a, what a baller name this was, was Linton Burnett Robison. Like what a classic 19 or 1890s, 19, early 1900s name. And he was friends with Asa B. Candler. And yeah, you're like, wow, that guy, I love him. Asa B. Candler was from Atlanta as well. And Asa was a pharmacist, owned, owned a pharmacy and was a pharmacist and ended up finding this new product he really liked. So he actually bought the rights to it in 1888. 
And in 1892, decided to form a company around it. So we got four or five of his buddies together and said, hey, would you like to invest in this product? And four of them did. They formed a company around it. My great-great-granddad, Papu, said, no one's ever going to like this stuff and decided not to buy in. He would have had to put up about fifteen dollars to $20,000 to buy in. Okay, this product, Asa B. Candler had bought the recipe to this, this little product called Coca-Cola. And uh, my, my great-great-granddad, Papu, could have bought in for like $15,000. Today, Coke is worth, I checked yesterday, $281.6 billion. What that means is, I could have been a billionaire, and I wouldn't have to spend time with y'all. I could, I could have a mansion. I could, be in Can- I could be celebrating Easter in Cancun or Italy, or wherever I wanted right now. $281 billion, and Papu said, no one's ever gonna drink this stuff. What a missed opportunity. (laughs) The reality is in our lives, we we have missed opportunities. Sometimes they're business decisions, but those are fine. Our family's recovered, we're making it right now. We're, we're, We're struggling on right now without our billions of dollars, but we're making it. In life, sometimes we, we make mistakes and we make wrong decisions and we miss opportunities. But it's at a different level when it's a spiritual mistake, a spiritual opportunity we missed. These guys had the chance to stay in Jerusalem and experience the risen Jesus. Instead, they left to go home. But we serve a God, we serve a risen Jesus who doesn't let us stay in our mistake. He pursues us. He comes after us, walks up behind us and says, what are you talking about? And if I were Jesus at this point, when they've told me, I would have said, losers, I'm alive, I'm Jesus, go back to Jerusalem, and then disappeared, just like that, just like totally disappeared. There. I would have left like a little poof of dust though, right? Just, just been gone. But Jesus doesn't do that because he's willing to walk with us and walk with us in our failure and mistakes and walk with us in our missed opportunities and walk with us when we're spiritually broken and try to lead us a better way. This is what Jesus says. He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus began to walk through the Old Testament and explain to them. It says, starting with Moses and then all the prophets, he, he showed them how there were continual prophecies across a thousand years. There were repeated prophecies about this coming one. In the Greek, the word is Christ. In the Hebrew, the word is Messiah. Those words both mean anointed one. This one anointed by God to save his people. There are at least 50 major prophecies in the Old Testament. And there were up to 300 total prophecies given about this one who would come. And every single one of them has been fulfilled in Jesus. Now think about that. We push past this too fast. And if you're here and you're you're struggling with doubt or you are skeptical about the Christian faith, you need to stop on this moment for just a minute. Because there are prophecies given literally thousand plus years before Jesus came that precisely predicted what would take place in his life. You can start back in a place like Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 18. This is Moses speaking. This was about 1,400 years before Jesus came. Isn't that weird to think? The Old Testament's long. Like, we look back 1,400 years ago, we think that couldn't be. The, the Bible stretches on for a long time. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses says, there's going to come another prophet after me who's, who's going to speak God's words to you people. 
And he was talking about a specific prophet. It wasn't one of the many prophets. He, he says, another prophet like me is going to come. Moses was a unique figure. He was the one who spoke on behalf of God, who brought the very presence of God to the people. And he says, another one's going to come like that. Deuteronomy 18, 1,400 years before Jesus came, that was prophesied. And then 1,000 years before Jesus came, King David wrote, and he wrote many of the Psalms. And all throughout the Psalms, there are very specific references to Jesus. Psalm 22, for instance, it starts off, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said those words while he was hanging on the cross. But as you go through, which, which signifies he had that experience in mind while he was about to die. But if you go throughout Psalm 22, there are very specific prophecies. Like, for instance, they divided the clothes of Jesus. The, the soldiers who were there at the cross divided Jesus' clothes among them. That's specifically predicted, prophesied in Psalm 22. Uh, it's also prophesied in Psalm 22 that, that he would be mocked and he'd be disgraced. The Psalms predict that Jesus would rise from the dead. The Psalms predict that there would be someone who was God who would come that was different than the Father in heaven. The Psalms predict every single one of these things. You get up to, so David wrote about a thousand years before Jesus. You get up to the book of Isaiah. The most striking prophecy about Jesus is in Isaiah chapter 52, starting in verse 13 through the end of chapter 53. If you have never read this, at the end of the experience today, pull out your Bible and walk through this. It's an amazing prophecy of what Jesus would come to do. That Jesus would be pierced, we're told, for our transgressions. Now, back at the time this was written, there was not a form of killing someone, crucifying them. Crucifixion didn't exist. But already it was predicted that Jesus would be pierced, that he would be beaten for us, that he would take our penalty on him, that when he was accused, he would stay silent. All of these things were predicted 700 years before Jesus came. So Jesus, and can you imagine, like, we're talking about a good Bible class, walking with Jesus on the road while he's like, let me explain the Bible to you. It's like you get done with that and you're like, oh, I should have taken notes. I should, have, I should have been writing some of this stuff down. Jesus explains all these prophecies and how they point to him. And if you're here and, and you're wrestling with your faith, you're even doubting your faith, you need to go back and look at the prophecies that were given hundreds or thousands of years before Jesus came and how they line up perfectly with who he was and what he did. I think there are three reasons why Jesus starts with scripture instead of just showing them who he is. The first is that scripture is objective. Like already the, the ladies had come back saying, hey, we saw angels and they said Jesus was alive. And that was, was not enough for these guys. It was maybe too subjective. What if they're ladies? They're ladies. They could have gotten excited, a little too excited early in the morning, right? Literally back in this time, the Jewish people would not accept a lady's testimony in court. And so there's probably that thought in the back of these guys' minds. Can we really trust them? Is this really? It's a little too subjective. But when Jesus starts off with scripture, which for them at this point had already been written for hundreds or thousands of years, then that's something objective they can look to and evaluate. The other thing about scripture is that scripture can't be faked. A lot of things can be faked, but like if these words were written down hundreds of years ago and they've been written down since then, you can't just act like that's faked. Like you can say whatever you want about the prophet Isaiah, who it was, when it was, but we know it was hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus that these things were written. So it can't be faked. The other thing is, it can be, scripture can be questioned. And this is something that, that people fail to realize about Christianity is it is the only major religion that makes claims that could be proven false if they weren't true. 
Christianity makes claims about specific times and specific places and events that happen. Most other religions are just like, yeah, back in the day, these things happened. They're mystical. Christianity is like, no, Jesus didn't just rise from the dead. He rose from the dead when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. When Caiaphas was the high priest, when Gamaliel was in the synagogue, here's when it happened. We're told specifically. And so I think one of the reasons Jesus starts with Scripture, and one reason why we should start with Scripture, is because God has given it to us as an objective record of what he has done. And you can go back hundreds, and even a thousand plus years, and it's still going to point to Jesus. Jesus starts there. But that's not where he ends. I think too many of us, our lives, we've heard things, we've heard reports of Jesus rising from the dead. We've even read scripture and we've seen these prophecies, but it remains something external to us. And so Jesus understands you've got to start with scripture, but you've got to end up somewhere else. This is what he does next. Verse 28, they drew near to the village to which they were going. And Jesus acted if he were go, as if he were going further. I love that. Jesus is like, you've done this. Or your parents have done this, you're out to eat, and it's like, who's going to pay the bill? You know, who's going to pay the check? Our generation is like, we'll Venmo each other, right? But like, like an older generation is like, we're going to fight over this check. Who's going to get it? It's like, no, we're going to pay it. No, we're going to pay it. And the truth is, you're really hoping the other person pays it, right? No, I'll get it. No, I'll get it. And you go back and forth. And Jesus does that kind of stutter step thing here. He gets to the house, and Jesus is like, I'm going to keep walking here. Got to get my steps in today, you know, got to keep walking, hitting 10,000 steps today. And he acts like he's going to keep going on. And they're like, no, stay with us, stay with us. He's like, no, I got to go. I really got to go. It's dark. I love walking in the dark. No, stay with us, stay with us, stay, come on. And so eventually he's like, okay, I'll stay with you. And so he goes inside with them. And when, at, when he was at the table, verse 30 with them, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And when he did that, their eyes were open. Remember how their eyes were closed before? Their eyes were shut. When he did this, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. It was important for Jesus that these guys understood, that they embraced, that Jesus, the Jesus they recognized was the same Messiah talked about in the Old Testament, the same Messiah prophesied. He wasn't just some guy who taught well because they thought he was just a prophet. When they start off describing, he's a prophet who did great things. And he says, no, I'm the one God sent to save this world. I am God in the flesh. And he wanted to make sure they understood that before they experienced him. If they just experienced him and saw him and he broke bread, they're, oh, Jesus rose from the dead. That's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But when they could connect it back to who he truly was, their lives would be forever changed. And for many of us, we need to truly experience Jesus in a relationship with him. I loved Priscilla's testimony. I hadn't seen that testimony before today uh, that she shared about how she heard John 3.16. And when she heard it, it she'd heard it before, it finally struck that this was not just that Jesus died for some other people or sometime. It was that Jesus died for her. That she could have a personal relationship with him through the sacrifice he paid. And it hit her in a different way. She had an experience with Jesus. I know Jake shared his testimony. Molly shared their her testimony. And their testimonies are not just about how they heard something, but how it became part of their reality because they experienced Jesus. Every single one of us this Easter, whether you're already a Christian or you're not, we need to experience the risen Jesus in a fresh way. And if we look to scripture, we can see he was prophesied about. And then he died, he rose from the dead, and we can see that, but we can hear about it, but we need to experience Jesus. Because what happens when these guys experience Jesus? They've had a long journey. They've just come back from it. 
They've gotten back home. They're kicking up. They're eating around the table. And this is what happens next. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They went back the way they came. They went back to where they started out because they were so excited. Remember they left all these reports? We think he might be risen from the dead. Ladies said this about the vision. They left anyway. Now they have to go back where they had come from. And they have their own report. They found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. And they were saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened to them on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They went back where they came, but in a different way. There's, a, there's an author named G.K. Chesterton. He wrote uh, this story in his book called Orthodoxy. He talks, he, he imagines, it's not a real story, but he imagines someone going on a trip somewhere. And he imagines a guy setting off in a boat to go sail to a new land. And G.K. Chesterton was from England, so he writes about this guy going on a trip and then coming back and landing, but thinking he was in a new land. So he thought he had ended up somewhere fresh, but he ended up exactly where he left from. And how he viewed that same place in a different way because he thought it was new and exciting. Like imagine you went off and you took an airplane somewhere to, oh, let's say Cambodia. And you go fly to Cambodia. But what they don't tell you, and you're kind of, you know, you don't really track very well. You're directionally challenged. Is they just did a big circle and then land back in Jackson, Mississippi. And you land and you see all this, this beautiful yellow dust flying through the air and landing on everything. And you think, what a magical place. Like, back in Mississippi, that was terrible. But here, just look at this beautiful stuff. You see the azaleas, and you think, like, wow, these exotic, these exotic. You see pine straw, and you're like, what interesting foliage they have here. Like, it's just, it's so beautiful. You see all the friendly people, you think, the natives are just so kind. They're just really sweet. You see some small kids in the park, you say, what cute orphans. Can I take pictures of them? Like, can I, can I adopt one of them? Can I, is that possible? Like, everything just looks... Fresh, because you're approaching it from a different way with new information, with a different perspective. These two guys had left Jerusalem in despair, frustrated, overwhelmed, because their dreams had been dashed and their hopes hadn't panned out. They had maybe gotten a little too excited about something that wasn't going to work, and they left, even though there were reports, and they left. But when Jesus met them first through the Bible, and then in a real experience where they actually got to encounter him in a significant way, it changed. They went back where they had come before, but they were approaching it with a new perspective because they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. Here's my challenge to you today. For those of you who are already followers of Jesus, my challenge is exactly this. We serve a risen Jesus, and he should change how we view our lives. The problems you walked in here with, they may still be problems, but you're viewing them from a different perspective. The family relationships that are challenging right now, and when you walked in here, you were thinking, man, I don't know if I can keep putting up with that person. When you walked in, suddenly now you can view it from a fresh perspective because Jesus is alive and at work. The frustrations and the doubts and the questions, suddenly you can view it in a different way because Jesus is alive. And what we need is a, a fresh encounter with him. We need to experience him in a deeper way. I want to talk for just a minute. If you're here and you're living in this place of doubt, if you're living in this place of unbelief in Jesus, thank you for being here. First of all, that's pretty awesome. I want to challenge you 
to think about the prophecies given more than a thousand years before Jesus came, the prophecies given hundreds of years before Jesus came, which predicted the family tree Jesus would come from, which predicted where he would be born, which predicted the way in which he died, which predicted what would happen when he died, which would predicted whether he was God or not. It predicted all these things. Like, that's God trying to send you a message and say, look, I've been setting up this plan and Jesus was the plan. I want you to be part of this. And I believe more than just understanding that God wants you to be part of this, I think you need to experience Jesus. And the way to do that isn't in the breaking of the bread. It's not in anything. It's not in sitting down with Jesus because he's not physically here. It's in encountering him at a spiritual level because he is still alive and he is the risen and reigning Lord of all creation. And Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Jesus kept saying, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. And so here's what I believe. I believe if you're not a Christian today and you genuinely are seeking God and you're knocking at the door right now and saying, Jesus, I just want to know you're real, that you care about me and that you have a plan for me or you have something you want me to do, Jesus will answer you. And he will particularly answer you as you begin to read his word and seek him through his word. That's, remember, that's what Jesus did. He was risen. He could have just appeared. Why didn't he appear? Because he wanted his disciples to know his word. So all it's going to take is just getting in the word and begin to seek Jesus. We're going to wrap up in a time of prayer just across the next minute and a half or so, two minutes. And I want to invite you, whether you're a Christian or not, to really seek a fresh experience with Jesus. We've seen him in scripture. I want us to experience him at a spiritual level. So let's bow our heads in prayer together.